Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. I have been what we call at our school a coordinating teacher who works with teacher candidates. And I, I prefer to take in teacher candidates of color or from marginalized communities. Kevin Adams is reliving one of his biggest regrets. And I remember there was one brother dearly, deeply, who I loved. I watched him struggle. As he came in, he was, and he was young, he was 21. But I was patient with him because I wanted him to be a teacher. The kids loved him. The kids absolutely adored him. So now I'm the old dude on the block, but they were like, Mr., we've never had a teacher like Mr. Adams is cool. It's you way cool. You know the dances. You know the music that we listen to. You cool. But so that educator, you know, he finished up his program. He got a job in Denver, but he left the classroom after three years. He left the classroom, couldn't put up with it. When I see stuff like that, I'm like, we lost one. You lost a really potentially great educator. Kevin felt powerless to stop another black educator from leaving the district. But Kevin's experience is a part of a bigger problem. There's a teacher shortage across the country that appears to be getting worse, especially for black teachers. According to the National Center for Education Statistics, there were more African-American teachers in 1999 than there are now. So, what's going on? Kevin's school district, Denver Public Schools, made huge improvements over the years to make the classroom and teaching faculty more inclusive. Despite Denver Public Schools' efforts, it still remains that less than 5% of Denver Public School teachers are African-American while over 14% of students are black. As a black teacher, how do you find your way in this environment? Why do black teachers find themselves excluded and left out in the cold and longing to leave the profession? Last time, we saw what happened when Colorado Springs District 11 removed the equity department and how parents and students of colour felt excluded and ignored by the school board. So, what does it look like from the other side when a school district says it values equity and commits resources to make it a priority? This time, we look at Denver Public Schools, a school district that values equity in the classroom and with its staff, but struggles to achieve these good intentions. In striving for equity goals, do they take into account the harmful effects of microaggressions aimed at black and brown teachers? This is Systemic, 
a series that tells stories of those who fight injustice as they attempt to dismantle the status quo. I'm Joe Erickson. In this episode, Kevin Adams, an African-American teacher in Denver Public Schools, uses his voice to challenge the education system that treats teachers of color differently. His voice amplifies hidden truths of being black and being a teacher. When you first meet Kevin, he's a small-framed, gentle guy with a big smile. Then it comes at you, this huge bundle of energy. Whether he's feeling passionate or disappointed by something, you're going to feel his energy. It's impossible not to. Welcome back, everybody. We have made it to Season 2, Episode 1 of The Exit Interview. I'm Kevin Adams, and I'm joined by my host. Kevin started a podcast with his friend and 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year, Gerardo Munoz, six years ago. It's called Two Dope Teachers with a Mic. I just had, I, it was just not cool. You understand? Yep. You know, coming from South High School, we got what we wanted there. You know, and you're sitting here, you're like, okay. It started out as a way for friends to process microaggressions. It wasn't a coincidence that Kevin and Gerardo created the podcast after a stressful staff meeting. Gerardo remembers it well. There was the the staff meeting, and then there was the fugitive staff meeting, when members of marginalized and minoritized communities will find safe spaces to be honest with each other and to really talk about what they're really feeling in this. And so we had these conversations. In August 2021, Kevin and Gerardo only had one thing on their minds, the educators who didn't return to school. In one of their first episodes of the academic year, they put a spotlight on black educators. Gerardo explains why this is necessary. We are telling the stories of black teachers who have been forced out of their teaching positions, giving them space to reflect, to talk back to the people who pushed them out and to let us know what is happening in their lives right now. So on the first day of the 2021-2022 school year, Kevin was thinking about what pushed his missing colleagues away. He was pretty sure it wasn't the students. At 9.40 in the morning, He greets his new students in his sixth grade social studies class at Denver Center for International Studies. The students don't know each other, but he gets them talking by giving them a wish. You guys said you'd wish for. Somebody said, wish one, get one million dollars. Wish two, get two more wishes. Wish three, donate four thousand dollars to every school in the world. Oh, I really like that one. I would wish for more time with Mr. Adams. Oh, you guys are so sweet. My second wish would be to have lots of money. My third wish is to fly. And again. Fly. The reason I would donate for it to every school, because some schools are very Yes, schools need money. I'd have every game, have every pop. 
Ooh, I like that. My dad loves pop. Ah, dad loves pop. And Four I got wishes. a million dollars so I can buy my dad any pop he wants. All right, folks, thank you. Though he's been teaching at his school for 10 years, the first day back is always special. There's a buzz around the school. Kevin always feels a little nervy on his first day of class. All of their energy, all of their excitement, and and just, just the wonder of it all. And the anxiety and the nervousness that eventually, you know, you work through, but as soon as they walk in, and, and they're on their thing, and they have needs, they have questions, right? And you're trying to get to know them and and learn all of their names and who they are and, you know, things about them and apply the strategies that your teachers have taught you in your teacher education program that don't really work that well. Like many teachers, he's learned to adapt his teaching style to his students. Kevin laughs at the education teaching program that encourages teachers to do icebreakers on their first day at school. It may work for some students, but for students of color? Kids are like, I don't want to get up and talk about myself in front of these people on this first day. Are you crazy? You don't, you don't, you don't need to learn anything about me yet. Kevin's drawing from his own childhood experiences of going to school in a white suburb. He hated the attention of the first day being one of 11 black students in a school of 1,200. Standing up in class telling folks who you are is the last thing you want to do. But teachers keep doing this because it's one of the first things you're taught as an educator. Breaking with tradition and training requires a little more thought. The only way to achieve this for teachers is to switch off culture bias. That's when a person interprets the world around them through the norms of their culture. And when people from multiple cultures are in the classroom together, it can be hard to meet everyone through the lens of their own culture. But Denver Public Schools is hoping there's a way for teachers to address their culture bias. Tony Smith, African-American Deputy Superintendent of the school district, says he thinks that it can be achieved partly through representation, but mostly through proactive training. What I commonly hear in my role currently is that we need more teachers of color. Absolutely agree. Representation matters. And we also need to teach people who aren't of color how to deal with and build relationships and have empathy for situations that people of color come through and, and find themselves being a part of the community. I think if, if we only say that diversity, equity and inclusion can be attained through more people of color, I think we missed the vote and we missed the context. Denver Public Schools has worked hard on inclusive practices in the classroom. They pioneered the Black Excellence Resolution, which values African-American students' experiences while pushing Black students to high achievement levels. And Denver Public Schools has a strong recruitment process that targets and recruits African-American teachers, but they don't stay. Kevin thinks diversity, equity, inclusion training is important, but says there's more to it. 
If you've been at predominantly white institutions through all your educational experience, you grew up in a white neighborhood, and then you come to teach in Denver, you can't help but start to understand there's something different. Cabrin reflects on the differences he experienced teaching in a mostly white HGT, or highly gifted and talented program, versus more diverse traditional classrooms. Some teachers would let certain students slide, right? So white kids, and I had seen it in the HGT program, things that were allowed. In the HGT program, I can get up and walk around the room and move with freedom, making my own decisions. In the traditional classroom, I need permission. Raise your hand. We can't let these kids, we can't let them raise their voices, right? Because, you know, you have black girls that get really passionate, right? Well, there's a reason why they're passionate. That means that's showing that they're into it, right? And I don't think people, it goes back to that bias training. Um, I think that's important. But if you're never exposed, if you don't know black culture, if you don't know what black joy looks like, then you will mistake. It's what happens all the time. I'm going to express myself a certain way. Kevin wonders if Denver Public Schools is placing too much attention on training. Instead, he feels the school should prioritize more teachers of color in the classroom. For a long time, just I was isolated, right? And you start to uh, normalize it. And you're like, oh, well, maybe this is the way it is. And think about the systematic reasons why there aren't black educators. Why are there not other brothers like me? Why do I not see us? And the kids tell you, mister, you're different. Why am I different? Mister, you're different. I've never had a teacher like you. What do you mean? You know, black teacher. You're just different. Being alone is only part of the problem for teachers of color. The other part is something a little harder to put a finger on. Microaggressions. Microaggressions are more than just thinly veiled, subtle, and sometimes unintentional remarks and behavior. Instead, they're the kind of remarks, questions, or actions that targets and devalues specific cultures, genders, and communities. You've already heard Kevin talk about microaggressions towards black girls sent to detention for being too loud, or peers who questioned Kevin's teaching processes. These are just two of many incidents. When you experience it once or twice, microaggressions may seem inconsequential, but over a course of a month or year, they exact a terrible toll on a teacher's psychological well-being. When they happen every day, well, they start to wear black teachers down. Kevin is no exception. He's 17 years into his career and getting tired. By November, Kevin puts on a brave face as he's fully immersed in a class he's never taught before. AP World History. The pressure is on. Kevin spent the summer preparing for this class and he enjoys the challenge 
of introducing students to world rather than U.S. history. So it was the first time they had really looked at and in an AP world history class and the kids are really learning to do the work of a historian. Uh, so they are really covering, let's see, from about 800 all the way up to the present. So about 1200 years worth of history. So it's tons of history, lots of reading. Um, a lot of the kids I had, it was their very first time, you know, and I have one student in particular, Abby, as I think about it, she was really, you know, nervous. She said, Mr. Every day she's like, Mr. I shouldn't be in this class. I can't do this. She's like, I don't know how I ended up here. When he heard this, Kevin went back to his lesson plan and books to see what he could do to make it more accessible and relevant to his students' lives. There was definitely a lot of anxiety, a lot of nights where I tried to craft lessons to get them just right. You know, trying to balance the rigor with also making sure that my kids, you know, eyes didn't boil over, that they didn't get overfed information, right? Because when you're 1,200 years worth of history, there was a lot. There was a lot. But it was a lot of fun. And, and I, I watched my students grow. Just before the Christmas break is always a stressful time for teachers. Kevin stays up late to grade papers. He has to grade everyone before the holiday, but there's a lot of distraction. Usually there's like a ugly sweater, holiday sweater type of contest. So you see kids and adults walking around with these great uh, ugly sweaters. And the kids love to have potlucks. And um, if you've never been to a potluck planned by middle schoolers or high schoolers, you're missing out. They are very good at chips, candies, cookies, sodas. I feel like my life ramps up because like, I usually rush to get all of the grading done, finish up all of that stuff in finals week. As Kevin returns to school from the Christmas break, he watches hundreds of kids stroll into the building with their hoodies up. As he follows the sea of hoodies, he thinks how much attitudes have changed. I remember it might have been my second year. We banned hoodies. <laughs> we, as a school, because teachers didn't like that kids would put their hoodies up uh, we see kids fast forward to 2022 and these kids walking around with hoodies in the middle of a 100 degree day. I don't know what that is about. I have questions. So I'm going to let that slide. I'm going to let that slide. But we, we banned hoodies. And I remember saying, I was like, what are we doing? I was like, you know why they do that? They don't like their haircut. They're putting it up because they got a haircut. It didn't go the way they want. They don't want to get fresh cut check, have their friends slapping them upside the head. Right? Or if you have a good haircut or you haven't gotten your haircut, either way, you're putting your hoodie up, right? You, 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 there's a reason why they're doing it. And people would make, you know, the kids don't want to be seen or it's gang related or, you know, jumping to all these conclusions. 
Kevin has learned a thing or two over the years on how to address colleagues' harmful stereotypes. Today, he wouldn't have a problem calling in this issue. This is a new term that many black folks are adopting. Call-outs can be important ways to speak truth to power and call racist people to account in a public space. But many folks are using the concept of calling in, which seeks to refocus challenges to racism by talking to the person privately and aiming for change rather than shame. But at the time when the school banned hoodies, as a new teacher, Kevin didn't know how to talk to his colleagues about racial stereotypes. When I came in, I came into a building of veteran teachers, people who had been there for a long time, right? And so, so you just listen. You just listen and you try to think. And, and again, me not jumping to a conclusion that, oh, this is clearly racially motivated. But I think what it comes down to a lot of times is ignorance. It's a fact that people are just ignorant of another culture and the way people approach things, right? And I, I remember certain people would talk about certain kids and my parents go to church right down the street at Shorter AME Church. And I'd see some of my kids over there, right? At church, I'd be like, well, if you saw this kid at church and they're helping pass stuff out, you know, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, dressed up, you know, handle it. I'm like, get to know them get to know the kids, right? People need to experience. They need to get out. Go to the Black Arts Festival. Start to see who we are. See us where we are. And we'll go to Black Church. Go. You think they've stepped into Black Church? Do you think a single one of these white educators has stepped into Black Church? Now, when Kevin's confronted with a racial situation, he likes to address the matter by calling in rather than calling out. I think that's way more effective. It's February, and on a chilly day, the school is preparing students for SAT tests. Kevin was approached by a white English language arts teacher for advice on the N-word in books. I'm like, I don't want to be the Black Whisperer today. Can I just come in like y'all do and just do and just go about my business? And I'll tell you, I love my colleagues, but there are times where it's like, oh, you're not sure how to use the N-word in this book. You're the English teacher. Y'all didn't talk about this. There's never a date. What do you do when the the N-word comes up? Go ask a Black guy. (laughs) Kevin feels that he can't be everything to his students and educate white colleagues on cultural issues. It's too much. It's one of the reasons why black teachers struggle in the profession. There's a buzz of excitement around the school. It's only two weeks before spring break. While the students can't wait, it's crunch time for teachers they have to prepare for end-of-semester projects. As a teacher, you can do so much for your students that it's easy to burn out. And when equity is a priority among all the other things teachers need to manage, that's even more to juggle. 
There are times when Kevin reaches his limit and students are wanting more. To me, when I think of equity, right, it's that all of my students get what they need. All of my students get what they individually, each one of them needs. And sometimes their needs are going to look different, right? I need space to stand up. I need to be able to talk. I need to be able to talk. That's who I am. I'm a talker. I'm a talk. I'm a talk. I need to be able to draw. I might need to look at my phone every once in a while to check and see because I'm going through a lot of anxiety right now. And this is the one thing that actually helps me calm down, right? I need space. To, I, we talk about it. I, and, and that was the beauty of the pandemic. It, it gave us the freedom to try different things because people finally said, oh, wait, these kids, they have emotions. They have feelings. They're going through a real thing because we were going through it too, right? And so it was like, okay, maybe today we don't have a lesson. We just talk. The other part, if I, as I say it, giving every kid what they need at that time, what if it's something that I didn't want, right? And I have needs too. We talk about this in my classroom. This is what my needs are. What are your needs, right? This is what we're trying to do. How can we come to a decision and use your voice? His honesty to admit he's not perfect and express his frustrations makes Kevin popular with his students and teachers of colour. But in his podcast, his honesty has received mixed reactions from administrators. Wait, administrators don't like us? They talking trash about us? No, um, you know what? Here's the thing. We've been blessed. Our administrators that we've had, and I've, and I've gone through principal change at my school, they've appreciated us. My current principal listens to the podcast, has actually raised episodes to say, you should listen to this. This is a really important episode if you want to understand this issue, right? And so I appreciate that. Our other principal, uh, Teresa McCorkadell, she would let us record in her office. Kevin and his co-host Gerardo are using their podcast as an agent of change. One regular series they do is called The Exit Interview. Asia Lyons co-hosts that series. In 2018, I left teaching. I was teaching in Cherry Creek School District in Colorado in the Aurora area. And I was actually pushed out of teaching due to racism um, by my administrator. And when I left, I realized that I really wanted to tell the superintendent what was going on with my experience and really make sure that he understood, like, this is, I'm not a, um, like a phenomena, right? That lots of black educators are getting pushed out and that he should at least, if nothing else, know one teacher's story. So I emailed him several times and finally got a response. And so I went to his office and we spoke for about an hour, maybe 90 minutes. And I had everything written down. So I knew what I was going to say. And I basically explained to him the reason why I was leaving, the reason why so many educators that I knew, Black educators that I knew were leaving, um, and just kind of laid it all out there. And of course, you know, he gave me the, we are working towards excellence. We are working hard, you know, push play, 
kind of thing, right? Yeah. And the expectation wasn't that I was going to like, it was going to be a revolutionary conversation and he's going to change his ways. It was just like, right. you need to know this so that you can't say you didn't know. Yeah. So when I walked out of there, you know, I just kept thinking like, damn, I wish more folks could tell their story. There are so many things that push you to the edge. And then you add the pressure of being judged, not as an individual, but as a race. Failure means that the school won't hire another Black teacher. My whole first year was like, I can't, I can't get fired because like, what if, if I don't do well, they're going to hire another 26 year old black man to come in here and do this job. And on top of that pressure, there's microaggressions and being seen by white colleagues as the go-to expert on black people. Is it any wonder why black teachers are leaving the profession? The spring wore on. Kevin's focus was on his students' AP World History test. The students worked so hard throughout the year. But in the background, the thought of black teachers leaving the profession was never far from his mind. And near the end of the school year in May, the problem was getting national attention from the teachers' union. Groups like Denver Classroom Teachers Association held walk-in protests at schools in Denver. Students from North Heights today protested the firing of Tim Hernandez. At one point, he joined the march and led the crowd. The dismissal of teacher Tim Hernandez reverberated with black and brown teachers. Kevin felt Denver Public Schools lost another good teacher. There's an educator at a Denver high school, teacher of color, Latino uh, male, who was put on associate contract and who was beloved by the community and, and not retained. Many believe the school used Hernandez as cheap labor and they didn't want to pay him a full-time teacher's salary they could find more teachers, mostly of colour, to fill the cheaper associate position. I reached out to the principal of North High School but got no response. Then the public schools did put out a response in an email saying associate positions don't qualify for automatic renewals. They wouldn't discuss the matter in depth because it's a personnel issue. Recruit, retain, respect. Recruit, retain, respect. The dismissal of Tim Hernandez triggered a huge response from students, parents and white teachers. How many of you have had a teacher in your life who was a teacher of color? That's not enough. We should all be able to raise our hands, even as teachers. As another school year ends, I wonder, why do black teachers return? They have to cope with all the stresses of being a teacher, the many unpaid hours of preparation, and the added problem of microaggressions. 
Kevin wonders too. And I think it always makes me question every. And you started, you're like, what keeps you in it? Like this year, what do I think about? I think about quitting. That's what we think about. You know, but it's the kids. It's the kids, and and that'll always be the reason. I think why black educators, if they do choose to stay, stay. Throughout Kevin's career, he's thought about giving it all up and doing something else, but he hasn't. His podcast is making waves. Administrators and principals are hearing hard truths about their schools. Maybe change is possible. So, what would success look like for Kevin? To be honest, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like and feels like. I know what I'm working towards. I know what I what I fight towards every day and the work where that would go. But I can only imagine what it looks like to be successful. Because, like Rhoda said, we grew up in this oppressive system, right? I've grown up in a system, and I see a system today that, in some ways, allows for way more expression. But I, I don't know really what it looks like. I can imagine, I can imagine it's a place where people feel liberated, right? Where there's no fear about learning, where kids have options and freedom, right? And when we say freedom, I don't just mean like, are you going to do math? Are you going to do science? Like freedom of movement, right? The freedom that people that we see in like the the top tier white academies. We started the academic year with Kevin Adams having doubts about whether he wants to stay in teaching. We ended the year with the same doubts. If teachers like Kevin leave, how are we ever going to solve this problem? Perhaps one way to solve the problem is to give educators of colour a seat at the table. Next time on Systemic, we focus on representation in school leadership. I follow a bilingual teacher who's doing everything she can to become a leader in education. But as she rises, will the district fill the hole she leaves behind? Right now, when I can make myself available to the parents, to the students, they can see me in that position, available to them at all times. That's next time on the season finale of Systemic. Hey, it's Joe. Since you listened to the whole episode, I have a quick favour to ask you. Take a moment to find Systemic from Colorado Public Radio on whatever podcast app you use and give us a like, a rating or a review. If you think the stories we're sharing are important, if you think the voices in Systemic deserve to be heard, all you have to do to help spread the word is like us, rate us, or review us. It helps others find this podcast. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting podcasts from Colorado Public Radio.